you know, I think more than even just Georgia, like I'm a huge Athens fan. Right. Like one thing that, you know, I tell people all the time is like, you know, I love the University of South Carolina, but man, I'd rather live in Athens than Columbia. There's something really magical about this city that uh, I didn't know for sure until we moved here. And I think we're just kind of falling in love with the place. You are listening to episode 80 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and whether you're an avid listener to our show or happen to be a first-timer, thanks so much for stopping by. This is a podcast that is focused primarily on UGA sports. It has been since 2015 when Will Leach, Tony Waller, and myself decided to act on our collective curiosity of what it would be like to host our very own sports podcast. Now, fast forward 18 months and We're proud to have produced 79 episodes, this makes 80, where we have shared the latest news and our collective opinions on Georgia football and basketball. But this particular episode is a little bit different. In it, I get to sit down and speak with Chris Heron, who is CEO and co-founder of Athens, Georgia's own Creature Comforts Brewing Company. I had heard Chris speak at a local Athens event this past November and wanted to have him be our very first sit-down interview guest for our podcast. I mean, I was thinking beer and college football go hand-in-hand, right? So, with the blessings of my co-hosts, Tony and Will, I set out to meet Chris at the Creature Comforts offices earlier this week. And in this episode, you'll get to hear Chris's story of how a collegiate soccer player at the University of South Carolina began his postgraduate career with a major beer label and eventually came back to his native Georgia to partner with his co-founders David Stein and Adam Beecham to start Creature Comforts Brewing Company. And towards the end of the episode, Chris talks about the latest news, and it's pretty exciting, about the expansion of the brewery in 2017 and even describes what it's like for the brewery during a UGA football weekend. So without further ado, here is the Chris Heron interview. What's up? This is Scott with the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast, and I have the pleasure today of sitting here with Chris Heron, who is CEO and co-founder of Creature Comforts Brewing Company. Thanks so much for sitting in. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, appreciate you guys having us. Well, the honor is all mine, and I wanted to kind of introduce you to our podcast listeners uh, because the majority of them are Georgia grads or Georgia fans, and I'm sure that all but maybe six of them have heard of Creature (laughs) Comforts and probably tried Creature Comforts uh, before in the past. So um, the reason why I wanted to sit down with you and to share your story with our listeners is because I first heard you speak at a My Athens breakfast called Go-Getters back in November. Yeah. And I was interested in how you told your story about, you know, kind of your entrepreneurial story about a, a kid who grew up in Gwinnett County and ended up going to the University of South Carolina to play soccer, if I got that right. That's right, yeah. And, um, Stone Mountain. Okay, well, that's where I grew up yeah. in. And I grew up in Stone uh, Mountain yeah, as well. Right off Hugh Howell Road, over wow. by Smoke Rise Elementary. I went to Smoke Rise Elementary. I went there through third grade. I'm probably a lot <laughs> older than you. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later. So, yeah, how did how did it all start out? Kind of a, a brief uh, history of uh, Chris Heron growing up and then uh, eventually getting to college. Yeah, well, I grew up in, I mentioned Stone Mountain, uh, Georgia. When I spent my whole childhood there in Tucker and Stone Mountain, kind of mixed back and forth, like you said, over next to Smoke Rise. Went to uh, high school in Georgia as well, and then uh, played soccer sort of my whole life. So soccer was really like the driving force that took me to South Carolina. So, you know, if UGA had had a soccer team, maybe we would have been uh, been able to stay in the state. But uh, the way it all turned out, South Carolina had a – they still do have one of the sort of best soccer programs in the country and have always been a great, great program in the southeast. And so it was really – that's kind of how I ended up there, just playing soccer nonstop. That was my entire life, essentially, for, for 15, 16 years. So were you recruited? Was it, was it like yeah. a traditional, you know, because we're, we're about to have a signing day for the football period. Was, was it similar it's, to that? It's, it's with much lower level. You know, there was no one there when I signed the papers, right? It was just you didn't me have three hats. and my mom and my dad, you know, hanging out in the in the laundry room or somewhere. I don't know. But yes, from the recruiting standpoint, uh, they have a lot less scholarships for one. So on a team of 21, 22 players, you've got, I think it was 9.9 scholarships or something like that. So not as many full scholarships and that kind of thing. Um, but there was, you know, that was I was a scholarship athlete there. So, yeah, it was definitely... Uh, 
definitely sort of that same process, just on a much smaller scale. And so once you got to South Carolina, what was the, you know, because we're sitting here as we kind of break down the pregame and postgame for all the Georgia games. Yeah. What's it like for a collegiate athlete when you're having to study and keep up with your grades and then also go to practice, train and then compete in games and travel? I mean, how hard is that on the, on the student athlete? It's definitely challenging. Uh, there are aspects of it, though, that I, I sort of felt like made it easier because everything is so planned out. You know, I mean, it's like you don't have, you know, I think one of the things that often can get you into trouble in college is when you kind of go away and all of a sudden you have all this freedom. And for me, that and a lot of other student athletes, you don't quite get that same level of freedom because you show up and you've got a job that's essentially full time. I mean, we practiced six days a week. You're not allowed to practice all seven of them. We'd have three a days early in the season. And so, you know, you're you're basically you got two hours for studying and you're probably using the study hall that's right next to the soccer fields in order to get it done. So, you know, I think that's probably similar with a lot of student athletes is that it actually in some ways keeps you very focused, but it, it does create a different experience than I think a, a lot of other students have. Right. And so going from the, you know, I kind of, I don't want to skip too fast over the collegiate years, but as you got into the final stages of your college career, when did you start thinking or did you at all, you know, like most seniors, uh, I guess you didn't think you were going to go MLS or in the, into Europe well, or was it then straight <laughs> uh, business? MLS wasn't quite what MLS is back then. What years uh, were you there? I was there from 99 to 2003. So the MLS was around, but it was not nearly. So we were still dreaming about playing in England and and that kind of thing. Who's um, your team? Uh, well, I grew up sort of as a Manchester United fan just because they were like the only team that you could get right. to watch on TV back then. Uh, but my team now is absolutely the Atlanta United, and I'm super stoked for them to be starting in the MLS in 2017. So yes. this is going to be pretty awesome. It's an awesome time for Atlanta to get a professional soccer Creature Comfort's going to be involved in that somehow? I, or I, would, I? I would love for Creature Comfort to be involved. We talked to them about it, um, but it's a little pricey for, uh, for little guys like us. Uh, right now and uh, but definitely someday would love to and we you know we still struggle to keep up with uh, the demand in the existing market and uh, trying to service an entire stadium would be pretty challenging I think we just we wouldn't have enough product right so uh, look forward to the day that we can rectify that and hopefully get involved with uh, not just that but other Atlanta sports as well so dovetailing off the soccer part how good were you were you did you score any goals what was your position I, I played I played sort of all over but mostly in defensive center mid and in college played some attacking midfielder did score some goals I was a, a good player uh, definitely you know I think there would have been an opportunity if I had really wanted to to go play pro somewhere right um, not you know being a superstar by any stretch but probably could have made it a number of guys that I played with uh, who wanted to did go do that and uh, for me it all changed in uh, really actually going into my junior year I got an internship with Miller Brewing Company mm -hmm. and that is sort of what was the big transition moment was you know, you're kind of working so hard. Again, there weren't really the same opportunities. You weren't surrounded by it with like the way the MLS is providing an environment for college athletes to really get excited about playing soccer in the U.S. Everything was essentially going to be going overseas. And I was a good student, made good grades. I was a finance and marketing double major um, at the Honors College in South Carolina and a specialty in international business and thought I was going to be an investment banker if I didn't, you know, after soccer. And then just, you know, went to a career fair Met a couple guys at a booth when I had my ripped jeans and earrings on, and nice. uh, you know they uh, they said, "Hey man, why don't you come back and uh, why don't you go home, get a resume put together, maybe put a suit on, and uh, and come back here." This was one of these deals where it was like my buddy who had graduated, he came back in town as an old soccer player. He's like, you know, we make the deal of all right, you go out with me the night before, and then I'll I'll go to this career fair right. with you. So I, I wasn't planning on actually finding a job there. So you just kind of fell into but it. But it's like the giant calling from the giant Miller Lite booth, and it was paying $750 a week for an internship. And I was like, man, I'll talk to these guys. And it all worked out. Went home, skipped the class, got my resume put together, put on a, a suit, took the earrings out, came back, and um, met with those guys. And they hired 13 kids across the U.S. that summer for an internship. So landed one of them and then uh, got a full-time offer with them after that. They had about seven of us come on full-time and... That was the beginning of the end of soccer and uh, I guess the beginning of this sort of career in adult beverages. So how did uh, how did that go? How long were you with Miller and what did you do? What kind of brands or campaigns did you work on? I was pretty pretty singularly focused on Miller Lite at the time. It was when the whole carb craze was really oh, sort of kicking yeah. off and we were like throwing, you know, doing all these 3.2 carbs, half the carbs of Bud Light. 
That was the big thing back then. Yeah, because it was Michelob Ultra. That's exactly what it was. And they're still branding it that way. Yeah, they're still. It was like, you know, ride your bike and swim across a pool and then have a beer. And that was like the the beer, I guess, for athletes is how they were trying to to brand it at the time. And Miller was like, well, hey, we've already got this in Miller Lite. So it was, you know, believe it or not, for as exciting of a time as you can have in the big domestic world, it was a rather exciting time to be with Miller because we saw it actually overtake, you know, Bud, at least in the 150 accounts that I was calling on. And so my job straight out of college, I managed the promotional team, you know, so we'd have promo models that would do the events and I'd run five to 10 events a week out in the so you're hustling at nights. So I was just out at nights doing, uh, doing bar events, talking to customers handing out koozies, t-shirts, whatever, whatever I could do. Had a nice little expense account. It was the best of times and the worst of times. I'm sitting here Uh, thinking what I went through after college and it it couldn't even hold a candle to what you were doing. You were paid to kind of go out and party every night. It was a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, you had to, you had to go set everything up. So it was a, it was definitely weird hours. You'd kind of go out at night then you'd start at 10 a.m. And work at home until like maybe like noon and then you'd go grab lunch because no one wanted to talk to you at lunch and then you'd set up stuff in the afternoon and then go home, grab dinner and then go out and do promotions at night. So it was tiring at the same time because as much as like it always sounds so fun until you think about the fact that it's like I was generally sitting in a bar by myself while other people were out doing an event and all my friends were together somewhere else having beers. So it's good to put it in perspective. Yeah, you know, it's always fun until you have to do it. And then it's like, man, you know, I'd rather maybe just hang out with my buddies. But every now and then I'd get them to to come hang out with me. So So I guess it gave you the experience, probably the desire and and the knowledge to kind of learn the beer industry. And so was there a point where it kind of clicked, you're like, wait a minute, I don't want to be working for these guys for my entire life. I want to, you, you, from when I when I heard you speak, you kind of have the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And so, what led you to a coming back to Georgia and then rendezvousing with uh, David and Adam to kind of start the whole creature? Tell, tell the creature story. The creature story. Yeah. yeah so. You know, I, I was with Miller for about two years, two and a half years, um, sort of without getting into a bunch of specifics about how the, the industry and supplier side works. I was move, looking to get into more like distributor management, managing mm-hmm. wholesalers as opposed to the direct retailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, took a job with Diageo, and that's where I spent the last nine years of my career before coming. Uh, what does Diageo the, make? Diageo. Yeah, no one knows who Diageo is. That's right. They're the world's largest beverage alcohol company. So they make they on the beer side they own Guinness. Oh, okay. um, so Harp Smithics used to own Red Stripe. Just sold it. All the Smirnoff Ice, but they're mainly a giant liquor conglomerate. So Smirnoff. Johnny Walker, Tangeray, Bailey's, Captain Morgan, Crown Royal, like Ciroc. Uh, and they were, they were a fantastic company to me. They gave me a lot of opportunity. I started out in sales with them. As you mentioned, always sort of entrepreneurial. During that time, a buddy of mine from high school and I started a company called Table Tap. Uh, he's still running that thing today. It's the, we were the first place in, uh, in the country where you could pour beer at your table from a tap. So sort of self-service beer, and that's grown on. We've seen it. There's a couple other competitors to him now, but um, Table Tap is still doing well. It was definitely the first in the industry, and he's taken that thing in a whole other direction. And, and I sort of stayed focused on, at the time, what was more of this sort of corporate career and was a little more interested in the, the kind of more product development and that kind of thing as opposed to that actually kind of became a bit of a technology company. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, went to uh, South Carolina. I was moved all over this whole time. I was in Charlotte, then Georgia, and now I'm in South Carolina. Took on a job as a, a national pricing manager, overseeing all the pricing strategy for the beer brands. And that was a cool job. Moved, did that, moved more into the finance side of things. I had decided when I was living in South Carolina, working on the Guinness brand, they really do focus around quality from a, a training perspective. And you can't really get into quality in the beer world without ending up in craft. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, just, it makes sense. it's yeah. a natural progression. You start learning about beer, start appreciating better beer. Then your, you know, curiosity is spiked. And so all this sort of entrepreneurial spirit just kind of really got me focused on, man, this is what I want to do. I want to someday have a craft brewery. And so moved out of sales into finance to try to put my degree to work, but also was realizing that I'm going to need a lot more than just the sales side if I someday want to actually own a brewery. And so um, Diageo gave me that opportunity, did a number of finance jobs with them for planning, supporting the salespeople, national pricing manager, ended up as their finance director for their U.S. Spirits and Wines business over their financial planning and analysis. 
Um, totally different business, you know, $4 billion business right. there. Uh, everyone's always like, what's the difference between that and Creature? It's like, well, there, we didn't ever worry about cash. And now all I worry about is cash. Right. You know, it's like, those are the two biggest things. So, you know, had a great opportunity. Was living in Connecticut, though. It wasn't uh, really our favorite place. I'd had two kids at this point. My oh, okay. wife was yeah, come back pregnant home. with her third. Um, and she's from the South as well. And, yeah, we were, we were just dying to get back home. And so we... Uh, Decided to, to give it a go and uh, reached out to this consultant in uh, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, and I had put together a business plan and was sort of just like, hey, man, you know, I'm a really bad home brewer. And <laughs> so, so you tried it before. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I won Diageo's national homebrewing competition, which was like basically the only one that was drinkable. You know, like if it was at all to style, you were going to be covered. Right. Uh, but it was never going to be a brewer. I'm not patient enough. These guys are so much better at science. I was not a science person. And you definitely need to, to really understand what's going on. And so I uh, reached out to this consultant to sort of take a look at my business plan and help me know if the equipment was right and to, to try to find some some people who I might be able to hire. So it was kind time. of like almost matching you up with someone? That's I was kind of going to them as like, check my business plan, and then my plan was to go hire some brewmasters and people who knew what they were doing. And during that process, he sort of, Adam and David were reaching out to him as well. And I was trying to start something in Atlanta, and they reached out to the same guy in Canada oh and God. were like, hey, we are brewers, and we make incredible beer and have this whole business plan. But we're kind of looking for somebody who knows, like, the business side. And the guy was like, man, this is really weird, but you guys should just talk to each other because you all have the same plans. You guys are literally grew up within 10 miles of each other. It's the same brewery you guys. Did y'all know each other growing up? No, we didn't didn't have any idea. So Adam and David had met in college at UGA. Okay. So they knew each other. So you're a co-founder. A South Carolina collegiate athlete is a co-founder with two UGA, presumably Georgia Bulldog fans. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That is a a fact. I remember on the first call, we kind of got that out of the way, you know, just (laughs) to make sure it wasn't going to be an issue. Um, But the reality is I grew up in Georgia. Right. And uh, my mom's boss, he used to be a big Georgia Tech guy. So I, growing up... Most of the time when I got to go to a sporting game, I would go to a Georgia Tech game, but then uh, had always sort of enjoyed UGA from sort of like just, I got into the SEC conference, so then you're kind of big into SEC, and so I'm, I'm definitely a Georgia fan when they're not playing South Carolina. I kind Carolina, of figured that, you know? yeah. Uh, or if they're playing, you know, Clemson, I really like them, you know, right. any of those kinds of things. Right, right. <laughs> the, so The typical fan kind of way I think, I think that's how anybody I mean because I know I have some friends that are Auburn fans or Tennessee fans that live locally yeah and they're very supportive and very encouraging of, of Georgia until that week before the game <laughs> and then kind of the snarkiness comes out and the jabs and the and all in good fun is that kind of how it yeah, comes with you because Carolina comes say. here next year they do and we'll we'll make sure uh, that we get to try to go to that game and uh, we try to get back to a game we used to be season ticket holders but had to give it up when we moved to Connecticut and I don't get back as much, but I've been to a couple of the other Georgia games. And, you know, I think more than even just Georgia, like I'm a huge Athens fan. Right. Like one thing that, you know, I tell people all the time is like, you know, I love the University of South Carolina, but man, I'd rather live in Athens than Columbia. That's you know, and it is just there's something really magical about this city that uh, I didn't know for sure until we moved here. And I think we're just kind of falling in love with the place. So well, I think that's why so many people when they go to Georgia and spend four or five years here, they just have that insatiable appetite to just come back. And whether it be on a football weekend or maybe just a weekend during the spring or or summer, I know that's how I was when I moved away after I graduated. And now finally we live here and have for 15 years in Athens and we couldn't be happier. But getting back to uh, what you and David and Adam did. And so you had that conversation, you had that serendipitous meeting with the guy through yeah. Vancouver. And so was it easy to settle on Athens? And then was it easy to settle on the name, uh, Creature so, Comforts? The answer is yeah, by the time I got involved. Mm-hmm. So they get all the credit for sort of the original location and even the name. So by the time we came together, they had already made the decision to be in Athens. They had already found this location. So I was the very last piece of the puzzle to come in. And the name goes back to David when he was homebrewing. So, you know, it actually ties back to a guy, Julian, who was a roommate of his in college, who was an amazing artist who do these really, really awesome creatures. And so David had sort of been using some of those creatures as sort of symbols on his, you know, homebrew stuff. And he was calling it creature comforts and he was, Mm -hmm. you know, peddling it out of any, uh, Was his homebrew better than your homebrew? 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, that is not even a not even a question. I have my little one trophy in my office. I just keep it in case I need to show off one day. And I'm like, hey guys, wait a second. Yeah, you know, this was. Uh, but yeah, no, they. <laughs> I haven't homebrewed since I met them. You know, put it that way. Understood. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just not going to bother anymore. These guys right. are significantly better than I would ever have been. So David's kind of like the brewmaster, or so David's uh, David's our head brewer and co-founder. Okay. Adam's our brewmaster. So Adam sort of brewmaster oversees the massive sort of production side of it. And so, you know, David was the first piece of the puzzle. He met some investors, had this thing, get an idea. And he's the one who was like, man, you know, I've never worked in this kind of a large scale operation. So he grabbed Adam. Adam had been at Sweetwater for seven years. And so, and they, they had known each other. And so he brought Adam in to sort of oversee that side of it. David is still super involved as the head brewer on all the recipe formulation and the actual brewing and production management. But he also takes a really active role in the branding and marketing side. So he's a part of the brand development team. So with, you know, with sort of crossing over, he doesn't quite have that same amount of time to just dedicate to the brewing that Adam does. And Adam's background really lends himself to being... Is that he the one that's the PhD master. in genetics? Uh, he was getting a PhD in genetics as I understand from Emory and then he left to go uh, to go start working on it as I understand the canning line at, at Sweetwater so or the packaging line so natural natural progression right? the thing that blew me away was you know I'm kind of big into really diving deep into whether it be a football team or a company and seeing kind of the the mission statement or the manifesto and y'all have yeah. that listed and it's so consistent from you know how y'all talk about uh, craving uh, curiosity and uncovering your passion and following yep. your passion. Um, speak to a little bit about the branding side of Creature Comforts because it's stuck in everybody's head. And from from the 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 way that y'all kind of have the light bulb and the CCBC yep. integrated to y'all's cans, which have won awards. Also, you know when we first met. So you know going back to how we all sort of came together, it was just. We had one phone call. Ten days later, I flew down. We spent one weekend hanging out. And then seven days after that, I had turned my notice in. We had merged sort of these business plans together. And we were we were on the same team. My wife was seven months pregnant with our third child. We moved in with mom and dad. And we were here. It took about 45 days from meeting them to being like living here and, and partners. And one thing that they had done, they had done some work on branding, but really hadn't landed on anything yet. And so the biggest thing for us was just, we wanted it to be authentic. You know, we kind of came up with these pillars of authenticity, balance, creativity, community, professionalism, and quality. And for us, it was important that when people engage with the brand out in the market, and then they walk in and they meet me or meet David or meet Adam, that it feels like they're meeting the brand, you know, and that we didn't have to be creative with marketing because it was just going to be naturally sort of who we were. And so for us, we realized as we went through this conversation, like one of the similarities is, is we all were really interested in starting a brewery, but all went about it very different ways. And we all uncovered this passion in completely separate paths, but it, it resulted from essentially that we're really curious minded people. And so that's what the idea of Crave Curiosity is, is, you know, we know it probably doesn't inspire someone to go and, and buy our beer, but we do hope that if people crave curiosity, that it will encourage them to go out and uncover their passion. And that when people do that, we sort of say like, we really want you to bring that passion into your life in some way, shape or form. And if you do it, you're happier when you're happier. That's when you enjoy the creature comforts of life. And so for us, this brewery and sticking with the name creature comforts was all about that the brewery itself self it is our like this is our creature comfort mm-hmm. it's our thing you know it's our s- snuggie straight out of the dryer or whatever <laughs> whatever the thing is that makes you happy i just let out a secret there uh, no, whatever the thing is that makes you the most happy in the world you know like that's what creature comforts are and the brewery itself is that for us and so we sort of said well why don't we instead of telling people trying to come up with some sort of gimmicky thing to get them to buy more beer why don't we just try to encourage people to go on this path that we went on and so that's why we really focus on crave curiosity is because we're trying to get people to start down the path that's going to lead them to you know finding whatever it is that's their creature comfort the beer is a good creature comfort as well obviously and so you figure uh, this is my assessment of it if you if you seek people or buyers that crave that curiosity and you might encourage them to find the happiness enjoy the creature comforts of life then when they come to your your brewery for your tours and then the tasting room then you've just got a bunch of like-minded people with different talents 
temperaments and convictions just coming yep. together and then it just kind of uh, grows from there. Yeah. And we see that in the consumers that reach out and we see it in our own staff here. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? It's like one of the things I love about this place, we've gone from five employees when we started to 24, I think full-time employees and everybody has their own story about how they got here, you know, but it's, it's different than when I worked at Diageo and it's like, how'd you get here? I talked to a recruiter, right, you know, like right. here it's like, well, I knew a guy or I was so passionate about this and it's their passion that sort of brought them here. And even on just our tasting room staff, we have people who work up there, but their passion is art. So we have one of those people, they curate the art on our walls. You know, another person's passion is in music. And so we got them doing the music booking. So we really try to tap into that within our own employees as well. And it's something that we're really looking forward to in 2017 and beyond is this idea that of us launching something called the Passion Project, which is going to be basically how do we bring this to life further so how do we actually invest and take a monetary stance towards people who are pursuing their passion so rather than maybe in spot you know giving a an incentive out to whoever sells the most beer. It's like, no, whoever can put together the greatest statement of them following their passion, that's who we're going to provide a monetary award to. Um, really trying to change it up. I mean, for us, the beer is something that we love making. We think it's beautiful. We hope that consumers will feel the same way. But we do feel very blessed to have this sort of platform and feel that it's important that when you're given a platform to do something more than just sort of try to make money uh, off of selling a product. You know, like the beer we hope is good enough to sell itself. Like consumers will tell each other about it and we'll spend time with our voice trying to encourage people to do something awesome with their life. So does the passion project and the passion you have about your beer and what you're talking about, does it dovetail into your get comfortable campaign of where you're trying to reach out to help the community we live in? Yeah. I mean, and touched on it earlier, sort of the six pillars and community being one of them. So when we started the brewery, before we ever had come up with branding or anything, we were like, what do we want this place to be? And we still go back to those same six things as sort of like that true north, you know, to, to guide us uh, when we make decisions. And so Get Comfortable was born out of us looking at our pillars and saying, like, what are we doing on the community side? And um, Athens has the fifth highest poverty rate in the country, which many people, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would be like, no way. You know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that I was like out there Googling, like I'm sure many people are right now to see if that's real. Um, but it is. And so that was really eye opening to us. And we believe that any community that we're in should be better as a result of it. And so we started it in our first year kind of always just say like, man, we just had to take a step and walk through the door. We didn't know what we were doing. And I think maybe we raised like $3,000, you know, and we were like, this is awesome. We had had 20 different nonprofits come through. We were given away. We hadn't really figured out how we were going to generate money for them, but we knew we wanted to do something to help the community. And we had based it off of some information we got from Community Connection, who runs 211, local service that helps, uh, now United Way runs it. Um, but it basically, it's a needs assessment. It, it gives you a lot of knowledge about what the needs are of the community. And poverty, hunger, and homelessness were the three things that jumped out. So we've always based to get comfortable, not on like a cause associated. It's not like our cause is hunger, homelessness, and poverty. Our, our cause is the community, you know? Mm-hmm. And what that money goes to support and which nonprofits that goes to support, that can change over time. But it'll always be focused on the Athens community and the communities that we operate in. And so Get Comfortable went from $3,000. Last year, we gave away sixty, created $65,000 worth of value. We give away 100% of the profits on our Wednesday tours. We create tons of merchandise on Get Comfortable. We give away all those profits. We create beers for Get Comfortable. We give away all those profits. Wow. The distributor gives away all their money. Uh, most retailers are giving away a buck a glass, giving back to it. And this year, we're, we are on our way to hitting the goal of $100,000, which we will, you know, we've partnered with five different nonprofits that are focused just on hunger, homelessness, and poverty. You can come by the brewery any Wednesday from November until April and meet the nonprofit that's featured for that week. And we actually. And it's kid friendly, too. Yeah, it's very kid friendly we actually have volunteer opportunities on site so when you're there you literally can buy a tour that money goes to you know so you're making a donation you can enjoy a beer with some friends and you can do some volunteer work and we create these really simple kit projects depending on the nonprofit that we're featuring that take all of five minutes for someone to put it together but it's just a way for us to try to to take and you know we believe that if you can get make it tangible if people can touch it feel it that they're more likely to get involved so the money's a big piece we're also through volunteer hours um, that we've committed to over the year we've got 100 volunteer hours that we're going to try to get done in these five months 
We've got media impression targets. We wanted to target a million people to raise awareness. I think based on the last numbers, we had actually already gotten beyond that um, through getting picked up by a bunch of great national outlets. We're going to get 500 program. for this. And we're going to get 500 more. <laughs> Emily, mark it down. Uh, we're going to get some more. Impressions. I'll send you the uh, impressions that we get. Which is fantastic. And, you know, those people tell their people. And these are the people that matter. These are a lot of local people, you know, or people that are going to come down to visit. And uh, we certainly encourage anyone if they don't have something to do, they can go to uh, www.getcomfortableathens.com and they can donate right there or there's you know a list of other ways that they can get involved. That's awesome. I mean, I think that people are always looking for ways to kind of not only help people in need, but it's a great way to kind of do it as a conduit in the community you live in. And, and even if they don't live here, they love Athens. And so that would be a great way uh, to get involved uh, to help local Athens communities. Um, and so definitely stop by on Wednesday. Stop by any day to Creature Comforts, but definitely stop by on Wednesdays. To kind of transition a little bit, I, I wanted to really focus briefly on the, the artwork of the cans, because sure. I know that that's probably one of the most unique things about Creature Comforts. You know, you can go into the, the your, your local Golden Pantry or a QT and, and see, you know, your kind of boring Bud, no, I said it, he didn't, boring Bud Light cans. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or, I'm with you. Or Coors Light. Um, so what what's the, the secret sauce behind all of these uh, unique cans? Uh, and I think I read that, um, is it Cocoa Bunny? It won... MSNBC's uh, like national they do uh, sort of during March it's like March Madness so they they had like a field of 64 from all over the country and it won best design yeah and that was done by David Hale uh, local artist local local artist so and which is the secret sauce to the cans there you go so so you um, continue to infuse local Athenians or you know or affect local charities yeah, it's a, so you know the Tropicalia, Athena Bebo, uh, those were all done by a local uh, local design company, Young Athenians, mm-hmm. and um, we worked with them really closely very early on and, and came up with those. And then one of the things that you know was important when we think about like our branding. So there's similarities between all the cans, right? It's like sort of we have the call it a template. You know, there's going to be a line at the bottom. There's going to be these diamonds in the same spot. The fonts are going to be the same. There's going to be words on the right side. The creature logos in the center. And so we're sort of like, look, that's that's how we communicate to a consumer. This is a Creature Comforts product. Um, but then beyond that, we really, in order to create exciting cans, try to take it out of our hands, you know, and not have the same group of people designing every can. So we've worked with all local Athens artists for each of the different cans. So like we mentioned, David Hale did Coco Bunny. Uh, Michelle Fontaine did Automatic. So it's really just been a total world of, uh, of opportunity for us to work and meet with great artists. And it allows it to feel like Creature Comforts because it's in our template, but it allows it to really just be different uh, every single time. And it's just been, we've been ecstatic with the results of it. And we've seen a lot of really positive you know, feedback from people on the branding as well. We're, we're fortunate to be in an amazing uh, artistic community. So do you, do you get kind of like, uh, I don't know, do you wince when you see someone crush a can when they're done with it or something like no, that? No, as long as they're recycling. <laughs> you know, okay. We drink, crush, recycle. It's on the can. So yeah, no, we're excited about it. We're, we're happy to print more of them. So uh, that's, that's right. That's the key. So you mentioned automatic and that's one of the seasonal beers. So for people that don't know, uh, Creature Comforts has year-round beers that are just yep. consistent, and then you have seasonal beers, and then you have unique uh, releases. Yeah, every so like limited then. releases. So, yep. what are the four year-round beers that people can? I think there's four. There's four. Yeah. So, uh, Tropicalia, which okay. is our IPA. We have Bebo, which is a uh, Pilsner. We've got Reclaimed Rye, which is currently only available on draft. It is available year-round. Yeah, I was thinking I had never seen a can. Cans. April, okay. April, we're, we're targeting. Um, so lots of work being done on that. We've been trying to get that can out forever, and it's just uh, based on production and capacity, it's been a real challenge. But we're finally in a spot where we do feel comfortable that we'll get it out in April. And then uh, Athena is our Berliner Weiss. I should say Reclaimed Rye. Uh, it's an amber ale that's aged on French oak. Um, it's a rye amber, technically. So really four different styles of beer. And Well, I can speak on the Athena part because my wife is a wine drinker. She won't drink beer. Not even she won't drink it tailgating or anything. But about a year and a half ago, we were up here and she tried the Athena. And from the first taste to the last where it kind of gets you in the side of the mouth where you taste that lemon yeah, zest of it, she was hooked and she is she will not she still won't drink beer. But she will drink Athena 
and buy six packs of Athena and claim those in the fridge and not let anybody else drink them. There so you, you, you converted her. See, it's just encouraging people to think broader about the term beer, you know? And she and was curious about her go. decision, I guess and, you could uh, say. You know, and that was a unique offer. When we launched with the Berliner Weiss, there was not a lot of people doing that. Right. Um, now it seems like almost every brewery has a, a Berliner Weiss in their portfolio. Is um, that your most popular? It's not. Tropicalia is okay. the most popular. And that's pretty standard, though. IPA is IPAs. just across the market. It is the most popular style of beer. But sour, you know, kettle soured beers like Athena are growing in popularity. We do some fruited versions of that for some of our limited release. So Athena Paradiso, as we call them, yes. where we put uh, fruit treatments involved with it. Um, but it is it, it's our second largest brand. Bebo's right there with it. <clears throat> and then Reclaimed Rye is the smallest of those core four, but it's also not in cans. So but it, it can take off once it hits cans. It will take off, yes. Yeah. We, we, we have a ton of people who are diehard Reclaimed Rye fans, and every time we post like a different can, it's like, hey, guys, just wanted to check in on Reclaimed Rye. You know? <laughs> so there are hopefully, hopefully there's some people listening that are excited by that. And so currently in the, in the winter and going into the spring, what are going to be the seasonals? So Cocoa Bunny is just finishing up, which is a milk porter that has toasted coconut, cocoa nibs, coffee from and uh, which coffee's from Thousand Faces locally. Okay. The cocoa nibs are from Condor Chocolates locally. Um, the toasted coconut couldn't find anyone with toasted coconut locally, so we did have to get that elsewhere. Uh, and then vanilla beans. So it's a um, really cool, very balanced beer. Um, but that's finishing out. Next up on the seasonal. So on that, from that perspective, is going to be Cosmo debris Mm -hmm. so we get our new crop of hops basically usually access to that in february or march it's processed harvested in september october and then it takes us a couple months before we're able to get to it before it's been pelletized etc etc so uh, we brew the double ipa basically as soon as we get the hops so that it's the freshest that those hops will be and so that's a sort of march april kind of time frame and then automatic would follow that as far as the seasonals go which is a pale ale that last year did really, really well. What kind of award did it win? Automatic won, well, in 2016, it was named, and I think it was Thrillist is one of the best That's beers it. of 2016. The best beers. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. We're really, really, really excited about that beer. That's one that we'd love to make year-round someday. And that's another cool label. I've seen that one. Yeah, Michelle before. pretty much killed it on that one. So, uh, yeah, we again, we, we don't take all the credit for the labels. <laughs> we, we work with awesome local people, and we, we definitely play a role in guiding aspects of it, but definitely want to leave it on the, the artist to, to help make them unique and different. And then uh, sort of Epicurious was a beer that we did this year uh, that was a, a table beer, and we will likely have that back, although probably under a different name hmm. next Interesting. year. Interesting. <laughs> there were some potential issues with that name, apparently, that we were unaware of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, but the beer is great. The can design was great. Another local guy. Can you just make it Epicuriosity or something? Yeah, like well, we'll try to figure something out. We'll try to make it as familiar to the consumer, but... Uh, Probably under a different name next year. And then, you know, intermittently in between all of those, between those seasonals is when we do these sort of Athena Athena Paradiso, Mm -hmm. which is the fruited. And then we have Tritonia, which is our Goza, which is another sour. I've had that. It's really good. It's a good summer beer. Exactly. And so that we've always done the cucumber and lime Tritonia. Tritonia is sort of for us, it's actually like this base Goza, but we've only ever launched it with cucumber and lime in it. So Uh it's like everyone equates the two. But I think this year we might get around to launching a second version of Tritonia. Tritonia as well, uh, which will be really exciting. So that stuff, uh, it's all all stuff that we try to get in. It takes a cut. It takes it ties up the brew house when we brew a sour kettle sour. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it eats into capacity. So it's like if we brew that, we can't brew other stuff, and that's kind of the the constant battle that we're having. It's why we don't just make more trop. So that leads me to my one of my final questions is you mentioned capacity. And last week it was announced uh, that y'all are going to be expanding. And I, I was crossing my fingers because I was, one, I was hoping it would still be in Athens, which it is. Yep. And two, I was hoping, it's was like, well, what's going to happen with the old snow tire place that we're, we're here at now? And I was glad to hear that that's not going to oh, yeah. be no, affected is... either because of its unique location. So share share uh, the good news about the expansion of Creature Comforts. Yeah, well, we're super excited to have been able to finally sort of let the cat out of the bag and uh, announce the new brewery here in Athens. It's about a mile and a half from where we're at in an old uh, in a development called Southern Mill. It's an old textile factory. I actually was working, uh, they produced jeans down there. 
And uh, going to be an amazing opportunity to renovate an old historic building. The building was built around 1900. And so to, to get a chance to sort of reuse that, similar to what we did here mm-hmm. with Snow Tire, is really, you know, we sort of felt like we had this once-in-a-lifetime chance before, and now we come to find out it's twice. And so yeah. uh, super excited about that. It's going to be an incredible project and an incredible development going on down there. It will allow us to triple our size you know, when that opens in the third quarter of 2017 or probably late third quarter or fourth quarter of 2017. It's an exciting time. It'll finally give us the capacity that we need to be able to meet demand much more adequately than we're able to, providing not just more product. I mean, we're not looking to leave Georgia yet, but we are. We would love to be able to expand to other parts of Georgia. We're currently really not in Savannah. We're not in Augusta. We're not in like Albany or Columbus. And there's a lot of, a lot of great beer customers down there that we haven't been able to get to. So we will, uh, we will eventually get there, um, but it's exciting. And then Snow Tire, we're going to continue to operate this, and we would even <clears throat> we plan to put some more money into this building. That's awesome. Going forward with uh, the beer production and, um, you know, kind of as you get into to 2017, I guess you start thinking about, you know, some pro forma thoughts. Where does Creature Comforts, and I don't know if you don't know the answer, you don't have to answer, but just like real succinctly, where's Creature Comforts in five years? Is it a national brand? Is it, or is it still just kind of locally here in the Southeast? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the answer is I don't know. Right. You know, we're very committed to staying local as long as possible. There's, uh, there's some other breweries that are bigger than us here. Mm-hmm. We'd like to be the largest in Georgia, within the state border. So, And until that time, I think we feel like we have work to do. So from, from that perspective, I don't know how long it takes to get there. It's hard to say, but I, I would guess in five years, we're, we're certainly all through Georgia. Hopefully the beer is readily available to Georgians. We've got more variety that's available year-round. And you know we're probably looking at other states at that point, I would guess. Mm-hmm. But... You know, we we got all kinds of stuff that we'd love to work on, you know, and I think that the the creature brand could potentially live outside of just beer as well. And so that's that's, that's exciting. The that's the entrepreneurial that side. Yeah, that's of the, we, we kind of think about, you know, we're always looking at a million different avenues. So we we have kind of a plan for what we think the brewery can do from a growth trajectory. And we have to because we got to contract hops. For we're contracting hops through 2021. Wow. So we do have a volume plan and, and sort of expectations, but as far as where that volume comes from, we are super focused on just making sure the beer is fresh. So right. that's the one caveat to everything for us is it's like we will stay in Georgia as long as we can continue to get customers very fresh beer. If we hit a point of saturation where the beer is starting to sit on the shelf at all, I mean, that's a signal to us that it's time to, one, increase marketing and do other things to try to continue to grow and drive demand locally. But two, it's probably time to sort of start looking into another state because at the end of the day, anytime somebody gets one of our beers, the most important thing is that it's exactly as they want it to be, you know, and that they can hand that beer to a friend of theirs from out of town and be excited knowing that this is truly world-class beer that these guys are making. I mean, well, I know, I know I took it uh, for a, during a Christmas event to Atlanta, I took uh, some Athena beer about a year ago, a 2015 Christmas uh, event. And uh, my fraternity brother who went here to Georgia has subsequently texted me saying that he and his wife try to stock up on Athena whenever they can. And they're in, they're in a Buckhead. That's you know, awesome. so I mean, it's just he didn't know about it. You know, yeah, that I mean, was about a year ago. There's still a lot of people who don't. You know, I mean, right. the reality is like we get locked up in our own little world. Sure. You know, and it's like, man, things are going great. Yeah, you look at Athens. you look at the tasting room, like but, it's packed. And, yeah, but you, you know. then you go drive into Atlanta and you just see how big it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, you look at the account list and. We're no, we're no, we're we're just scratching the surface on what we think the opportunity is and what we hope to be able to do. You know, I mean, not just getting more beer to people, but getting our message. You know, ideally, the beer is sort of a conduit for us to be able to talk to people. You know, mm-hmm. it opens the door for us to talk to them about this message of Crave Curiosity. And so the more people we can get the beer to, the more opportunity we have to try to help inspire some others to kind of take the same journey as we're doing. Well, that's fascinating. It's kind of like the recruiting process with uh, football, I guess you could say. The the better athletes you can get, the better the, the football team yeah. uh, can perform on the field. And so what I'd like to do now as we kind of finish up is typically when I'm with my uh, co-hosts, uh, Tony and Will, um, we'll do kind of a rapid fire towards the end. And I'll just kind of ask them some questions and they'll just kind of answer it off the top of their head. So I had a couple questions I wanted to ask you that were they were burning. Uh, there were burning <laughs> questions for me because I was curious about how uh, you go about this. So 
Um, so I'll just kind of start shooting at random with these with these questions, and um, we'll start out saying you grew up in Georgia, uh, kind of near me. We established that earlier. Who was your favorite college football team growing up? Uh, I wasn't that into. It. I mean, I probably UGA. I mean, they would have mm-hmm. been the the one we'd have spent the most time focusing. I was I was not the biggest football fan growing up. I was just super focused on soccer. Okay. But, um, if we were going to be going or watching a game, Georgia would have been it. I heard about a recent uh, bet that was made by Governor Deal with the governor of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. uh, can you can you briefly explain uh, what that bet yeah, is I mean, and how we, it was paid off? We didn't know anything about it, um, but uh, until until we read about it, like everyone else did. But yeah, Governor Deal's office uh, had made a, a friendly bet with uh, the governor of Wisconsin on the Falcons Green Bay game, which was an amazing game. So go Falcons and good luck in the Super Bowl. Uh, but yeah. We uh, we were extremely excited to see he included two six packs of Tropicalia in his wager, and uh, we just felt like that was a, a pretty clear example that he was confident in the victory. Yeah. Because from what we understand, it's really hard to find in Atlanta. Tropicalia. So, yeah. So we would uh, we we just took that as a, a sign of his confidence. Is there going to be a bet with the Patriots or any Boston fans? Uh, you know, I. I can't speak for them, obviously, but uh, you know so. we'd hope so. You know we uh, we haven't had to pay up yet, but if he needs help finding it, we'd, we'd certainly be willing to work with him on it. So, what are game days like? Uh, you know, there's six hallowed days here in Athens in the fall. What are game days like for the brewery? Is it is is it open during the game, or do you see an influx of uh, of people coming in, or or because of Georgia State uh, brewery laws, are you not able to? reach your max capacity yeah no we, we can reach capacity um georgia laws are not where they need to be but um it doesn't impact us in this scenario as far as being open we we open at our regular hours basically so we open one to six i mean we're you know we're fans of the the university and the football program but we're a craft brewery you mm-hmm. know and when we're open it's about the beer you know and that's we don't have televisions so people aren't really coming here to watch the games and that's by design you know we really want to take this opportunity to engage in consumer who are visiting our brewery from out of town or from wherever and provide them with an experience that they might not be able to get at another place in town. And so uh, they're big days for us in that there's a lot of people, but from the sense that it's a lot of opportunity for us to engage with a consumer who we may have never had an opportunity to talk to in any way, shape or form before. And so, you know, that's always a big deal to us is and you know our staff is ready for that we obviously have to staff up because there's just so many people in town um we the first year tried to sell like tailgating but now it's just too <laughs> crowded at the at the brewery so they're, they're huge days and they present an incredible opportunity not for only just for us to talk to the, the the people who are georgia fans but people from other states as well so um yeah, big, big day, not impacted by the laws. Love for people to come by. I mean, we put cornhole out and we have food. So we definitely try to give it a bit of a tailgate atmosphere. And uh, we have this starting this year, we started taking and putting a projector on with a big screen to show some games. No sound, but at least uh, provide for all those fans who kind of want to do both, you know, to be able to kind of figure out a way to to work it in. So when you have a big game like we did against Alabama uh, in 2015, can you sense the the lead up because of all the orders being placed? I mean, do you really have to ramp up production to supply that uh, since there's like 100,000 people coming to Athens <laughs> for one weekend? So it doesn't impact us on the production side. We're, we're working at our maximum capacity all the time. Okay. So there's not sort of a ramp up for us, but what we definitely see is consumption in the market, you know, sort of the amount of quantity that has to stay in Athens versus being able to go to Atlanta mm-hmm. changes during those weekends. So, you know, if we if Athens drinks, you know, making up a number is a thousand cases a week, normally it's like 3,000 cases right. that week. So right. um, it doesn't impact our production schedule, but certainly our wholesaler, it impacts them probably a little bit more on having to where volume is, is shifting between the two markets. And, and what, what is your personal, if you're allowed to say, what's your personal <laughs> favorite Creature Comforts beer? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, what's your, who's your favorite? Kid, right. You know? I kind of so figured that would be it, the answer. It, it always relates to the, to the scenario, you know, but you know, I think a lot of the beers that, I mean, I, you love Tropicalia because I just think it's one of the, the best sort of IPAs out there. It's extremely well balanced. 
And, you know, it's the vast, not the vast, but it's the majority of our business. So it helps us run a business. Mm -hmm. You know, Athena just brought such an incredible new sort of category and style and excitement to consumers who don't normally drink beer. You know, I really see people moving back into beers like Bebo or Pilsner. We're really seeing a movement of people who have been sort of on these fringes of craft getting into the hoppiest thing, the most sour thing, and kind of being like, you know, I love craft, but sometimes I want just a good Pilsner. And, uh, and we're hoping when that we get me. Reclaimed Rye out there, you know, Amber is still, I think, the third largest style of, of beer that there is. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a large market for that beer. They're all great. All of our seasonals are great. My, my favorite beer is probably the, the newest beer that, we're, that we there have you go. out. You good know, answer. It's like, whatever the newest is, that's what I'm drinking most of. <laughs> that's a good answer. And finally, you played at South Carolina. We talked about that earlier. Did you have any interactions with uh, or do you have any anecdotes about Steve Spurrier because he was the, the kind of the favorite punching bag or um, the guy that really broke our hearts here at Georgia for all the years he was there. And of course, I'm setting you up. I know that yeah. he has a story or a saying about <laughs> Coach Spurrier. So to end this podcast, if you could just share with our listeners uh, your my. thoughts on Coach Spurrier. Yeah. So um, he wasn't there when I was there. Lou Holtz was the coach at the time, but um, I did come, you know, there was an anecdote that was told to me, um, which, you know, I always, it's always good for me to be able to get the opportunity to share this in an interview. There's a, there's a play, there's a game. South Carolina's on, I think, like the two-yard line, something like that. About to score a touchdown. Uh, I think it's like fourth down or something. They decide to go for it. And the guy throws the pass out to, uh, like, a tight end, goes out, hits his hands, and he drops it. And he's all dejected and mad at himself, you know, and he walks over to the sideline and Great Steve Spurrier puts his arm around him. The guy's just, I'm so sorry, coach. I can't believe I dropped it. I'm so, so sorry. And Steve's like, hey, man, don't feel bad. You're not the one who called the play, you know. So uh, it, just always a reminder that, you know, if the interview doesn't go well, like it's I, I'm not the one who invited me here. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, Steve, Steve's view is, look, you know, I'm the one who told him to pass it to you, man. Right. You know, so right. uh, it's uh, always, uh, always good to think back uh, that, you know, sometimes, Sometimes it's not the uh, the interviewer; it's the interviewee. He shouldn't have invited me. No, I think <laughs> I, I, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us and our listeners for the waiting since last Saturday. We I kind of feel a kindred spirit toward what you were talking about on, about entrepreneurship because, like you were talking about, I'm and my co-hosts yep. we crave the curiosity of podcasting and we want to do it better because that puts us in our happy place and yep. we're able to see the benefits of the tweets or the comments or reviews that we get on our show. And so that makes us happy and we love Georgia football and we love Athens. So it kind of marries it nicely together. So I want to thank you for taking the time out. Um, What's the easiest way for people to get in touch with you if they wanted to donate to get comfortable or just come and visit the, the brewery? Yeah, I mean, any any questions, comments, anything, they can go to curious at ccbeerco.com. But, I mean, our website stays very up-to-date, which is creaturecomfortsbeer.com. If you're more interested in the Get Comfortable thing, getcomfortableathens.com. Those are, you know, sort of great places to go be as uh, beginning resources and should provide you most of the information you're looking for. Otherwise, curious at ccbeerco.com is, is the place to send an email, and uh, somebody will get back to you for sure. The way we end every podcast is we just give a, a quick go dogs. So can we get a go dogs from you? Yeah, yeah, we'll get one of them there. So uh, go dogs. All right, thanks, Chris. And thanks so much for listening. Now, some of us attended UGA, like myself, and others feel blessed to call Athens, Georgia home. That's me too. And most of us, at some point, will visit this wonderfully diverse and sports-crazed college town, which is now quickly becoming known as a destination for sampling some of the country's most amazing craft beer. I'd like to personally thank Chris for taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down and speak with me on this podcast. And a special thanks goes out to Emily for helping me get this whole thing set up. So thanks, Emily. If you'd like to find out more about Creature Comforts, their website is indeed one of the most informative I have seen. You can go to creaturecomfortsbeer.com And to learn more about their Get Comfortable program, head on over to GetComfortableAthens.com. As far as their social links, I'll place those as well as their email address and the aforementioned websites on our show notes page. Let us know what you think about this interview. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can tweet our show at WSLS Podcast, or you can find our show on Facebook and Instagram. Same handle, at WSLS Podcast. So have a great rest of your week, and we hope to see you on campus very soon, and maybe even over at Creature Comforts as well. Thanks for listening, and as always, go dogs. Go dogs.